0: We are in our uh, series of Faith and Finances and as I was thinking about preparing for this message today, I thought about something that happened in the not-so-distant past. I was looking at my bank statement at the end of the month and I thought that there should be a whole other uh, decimal place of numbers than there actually was and I thought, well where did all my money go? And so as I thought back on the month, I realized that uh, I had very happy memories of eating at my fa- favorite Mexican restaurant, munching uh, on tacos, sipping horchata, watching Little House on the Prairie on their big screen TV. <laughs> um, true story, uh, I'm a big Little House on the Prairie fan. I had a stack of DVDs that I bought from Target because they were on sale, and I thought, oh, it's a great movie, I gotta watch that one. And of course, you know, some of them never got watched. And then I had a bunch of half-empty bottles of booze and empty beer cans lying around. And I realized, ah, that's where all of my money went this month. Now, some of you might be uh, nodding your heads and thinking, oh, yeah, brother, I totally get what you mean. And some of you might be thinking, no, this guy is an absolute idiot with his money. I want to acknowledge the fact that uh, this morning that we come from a wide perspective a wide uh, variety of experiences. Some of you might know exactly what I'm talking about, and some of you uh, might not. Some of us might have more money than we know what to do, with, and others of us uh, might just barely be making uh, ends meet. But I want to say this. I believe that what Jesus has to say is not just about uh, how to uh, manage your personal finances. I don't think Jesus came to be our personal financial guru. I believe that Jesus invites us into something much deeper and much more powerful about our thoughts, our motivations, what gives us meaning and purpose. And so I invite you this morning as we dive deeper into our passage today, please pray with me. Gracious God, we come before you this day and we ask that the power of your Holy Spirit would be in this place, and more importantly, within our hearts and our minds, would you speak to us challenge us? Would you us and prod us so that we might be able to see how this ancient passage uh, is relevant for us here and now today? And we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. And so as we look into our scripture reading today, uh, there's just something really important that I want to point out. It begins by a man coming to Jesus and he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide his inter- inheritance. Uh, equally with me, fairly with me, because I guess his brother, his older brother, probably uh, gave him um, less than his share. And so Jesus answers, who has appointed me to be the judge and arbiter? Who's the, who am I to tell your brother how to split money? Now, when you look at that on the face value, you think, okay, well, Jesus is saying, I'm not getting, you know, I'm not getting my hands in your family business and all that junk. But I think Jesus is pointing to a deeper reality. Jesus is not here to tell us exactly and give us prescriptions about, well, you need to give this much money here, this much money here, this much money here. Jesus points us and moves us and encourages us to think more deeply, not just about how many dollars and cents that we spend, but how do we spend it, where does it come from, and what motivates us. And so he tells this parable. It's about this man who uh, found that he, uh, his ground produced a large crop. And what's interesting is that the scripture says that the ground produced it. He didn't produce it, the ground did. And if you've ever grown anything before, if you've ever done anything outside some planting and gardening, you know that you can plant the seed And you can water it and you can hope that, you know, rain falls and the sun falls down. But you yourself don't do anything to make anything grow. It's outside of your control. You can create the ideal circumstances, but you don't do anything. It's not the same thing as, oh, I'm going to build a table and a chair and I'm going to do it with my hands. It's different. And so the ground produces something. Force is outside this man's control. And it's an abundant crop. It's a bumper crop. And so, he thinks to himself, hmm, what should I do with this uh, abundance that I have now? And in Middle Eastern society, in the first century, 2,000 years ago, and even now today, it's a communal society. You never make important decisions by yourself. That's not the way it's done. You consult with your family, you consult with the other leaders in the community, and then they think about, well, what is going to benefit everybody? But in our scripture reading today, This guy, he totally just sits there and has an internal monologue. Hmm, what should I do with the surplus? Oh, I know. I'm going to tear down my small barn, and then I'm going to build a bigger barn, and then I'm going to store all my crops in there, and then I'm going to sell it off as, you know, whenever I want to, and then I'm just going to reap those profits. I'm going to eat and drink and be merry for the rest of my life. So he does not care what anyone else thinks. He doesn't care about the fact that this guy probably didn't do any plowing. He never did any seeding. He never did any harvesting. And with this bumper crop, his servants and his slaves have to do extra work because there's more crops. Hmm. They're not going to get paid anything more, so he's reaping double benefits from there. And he doesn't care because all he does is talk to himself and think about what do I want? What do I deserve? And so, Jesus says, God speaks to this landowner. He says, you fool, this very night I demand your life. Now this is crazy. This passage is actually really crazy. Because nowhere else in the Gospels, nowhere nowhere does Jesus ever tell a story or a parable where God is so angry that God demands the life of somebody I mean, this is Jesus we're talking about. He hangs out with tax collectors, prostitutes, drunkards, people with leprosy, people who are ritually unclean, Samaritans. What would compel this loving, this all-inclusive, this super nice Jesus to tell a parable that is so scary, that's so condemning? What did this uh, landowner do that would incense God? What was his sin? What was so egregious? that God would demand his life. Now, on, uh, you know, we can read this passage superficially and we can say, oh, well it's because he was greedy and he kept all the money for himself and because he built a bigger barn instead of distributing it out to other people. Or you can read this passage uh, with a little bit more of a modern lens and say, well, this guy, he was so rich, he should have put more money into the offering and so, you know, so that he'd be more rich to God. He didn't do any of these things. And so God was angry, and God demanded his life. The truth of the matter is this. I don't think God demanded this guy's life because he built a bigger barn. I think if you're doing well in life and you have a surplus of income and you say to yourself, well, you know what, I'm living in this, uh, I'm living in this um, little hole in the wall, And I think I need to move into a bigger space that costs a little bit of money. I don't think God is going to be angry with you. I think if you're considering, I need to give a little bit more money, but this couch that I'm sitting on is falling apart, and I'm pretty sure there's a mouse that lives underneath there. I don't think God is going to demand your life. While I can give you all kinds of prescriptions about how to spend your money and what I think God wants you to do, I don't want to because Jesus himself doesn't give financial prescriptions. And I don't think I'm in any place to do that either. But what was it that this guy did that made God so angry? And this is just my thought. I think what this guy did was he lived a life that was completely oblivious and unaware of where his wealth came from. He lived completely oblivious and unaware of what what he could do with that wealth. And he was completely oblivious and unaware about the future. He just, He's just not aware. He didn't think about anything. He just kind of lived on autopilot. Oh, I have more money now, and that means I can spend more, and I can be more comfortable. And so what, I think, what it means to be rich towards God is I think it means that we begin by asking questions. Well, I get this paycheck, and whether it's a little bit or whether it's a lot, Ask the question, well, where does it come from? And then to say, well, I have this paycheck now. And what am I going to do with it? Whether it's a little bit or whether it's a lot, how am I going to use this purposefully, with intention, in a way that it's meaningful, where I can say, you know what? I, I put my money behind things that I really, really value, that I think are important. So that at the end of the month, you're not thinking, oh, man, where did it all go? and say, yeah, I put it towards something that gives life and meaning. And I think that's uh, those questions invite us into a deeper reality of what it means to be rich towards God. And I want to say this, whether you have lots of money, time, energies, or skills, or whether you're just stretched really thin and you're struggling right now, I want to encourage you, and I want to I say this, regardless of what you have, God can use what you have to do powerful things. Whether it's a lot, whether you have more money than you know what to do with, come speak to me. Um, I got ideas. I'm not going to give you prescriptions, but I'll give you suggestions, right? Or whether you're thinking, man, all I have is two copper pennies, and I don't know what to do with it. I believe that you are empowered and entrusted to do something excellent. And God could multiply what you have. But you've got to live with awareness and you have to do it with purpose and meaning and intentionality. I want to share two stories this morning as we close. Uh, the first is a story about my friend Bruce. Bruce is, I think, 75 years old right now. And Bruce, let me tell you, his brother, he's rich. He's got a lot of money. He has never had to finance or buy anything on credit his entire life. So, the house that he bought, he bought it in cash. Uh, the, every single car that he's had, he bought it in cash. It's not even like he makes a lot of money, but he has exorbitant student loans to pay off, nothing. What comes in is just his stuff. Let me tell you, that's a level of wealth that's just pure awesome. <laughs> Bruce retired early because obviously he, he, makes, he made a great living. And for 15 to 20 years, even after he was retired, he worked as a school bus driver. You know, those big yellow buses driving elementary school kids back and forth from home to school. And people asked him, Bruce, you don't need the money. Why are you driving the bus? And he said, I just want to make sure that these kids see a friendly, reliable face every single day and that they know that they have a bus driver that loves and cares for them. And so he drove this bus until he was 72 years old. Because after a while, people are like, do I really want a 72-year-old person driving my kids to school every day? So he retires, and even after he retired, he would still go out to the bus yard almost every morning and talk to those bus drivers. Four thirty, five 5 in the morning, he would bring them coffee. He would interact with them. He would encourage them. Let me tell you, this brother, he was also... Uh, one of the top givers at the church where I was serving at, really humble about it. Never made a, never made a, never talked about anything. But one day, uh, it was the Christmas service, and we were sort of built behind on budget, and so there was a big gap that needed to be met. And at the Christmas service, he put a check inside the offering plate, but I don't know because he's old or something, he missed the plate, and the check fell out. And so somebody went and picked it up, someone from our staff, and went to put it in. And as they were um, picking it up, they looked at the figure on the check, and it was a five-figure check. This guy, he just wanted to balance the budget um, by himself. And, I mean, this guy, he was, he's rich, and he was generous with the church. But let me tell you uh, something else. Sunday mornings in uh, Michigan in the wintertime, there was a lot of snow. And especially these last two winters. I would get to church. I would roll in early around 7 a.m. It's still dark. And me and some of the other pastors were the first ones there. And by the time we get to church, all of the sidewalks around our church property, which was actually very big, was completely plowed out and salted. Because Bruce and a couple of his buddies who are retired would get to church at 4.35 in the morning where it's like, like 10 degrees outside. And he would get that snow hand-push snowblower and he would clear out all the sidewalks. And he would do it so that the old people wouldn't have a hard time walking into church on Sundays. Can I tell you, this guy, he was, he was rich, yeah. And he was rich with himself. But he was totally rich with God. And now I'm not just talking about money, I'm talking about his life, his time, his energy, his resources. People asked him, Bruce, take it easy, man. When are you going to slow down? And he says, I love people. I love the church. This is how I want to spend my time and my energy. And I look at guys like that and I think, ah, what an inspiration. i got to tell you about one other friend. I have another friend named Young and... Young is completely on the opposite side of the spectrum. This brother, he doesn't have anything. He's broke. No money. Uh, I went over to his house. I think Young was like 28, 29, and he was living uh, in someone's house. Like He just had one of their bedrooms. Mm -hmm. I walk into his bedroom, and this brother didn't even have a bed. He had a mat, like a camping mat, that was just rolled out in one corner of the room. And his room looked like Radio Shack. He had a whole bunch of, like, electronics and gadget soldering irons and uh, stuff just kind of lying around. He owned nothing to his name. I mean, I think he was driving the car that his parents gave him because they felt so bad that he didn't even have a car or anything. But Young, wherever he went or whoever he met, he lived with this philosophy that he wanted to bless every person that he encountered, every place that he worked, and every church that he served at. And so when he would be at church, even though he didn't have much to give financially, he was a, he was a technical audiophile guru, so he would help out with the praise band, he would help out with the sound team and the AV team. He would fix uh, things that were broken at church. When he was at work, he would always try to be positive and encouraging and uplifting to his coworkers. And let me tell you, you guys know, there's always that one coworker at work that you think, please God, if you would only transfer them to another department, my life would just be so complete. Can I tell you something? Uh, even if you change jobs, there's going to be another one of those people there. It's just one of the realities of life, right? There's always going to be one person that gets under your skin. Young would just try to bless them. One Sunday after church, uh, I was just hanging out at home, and uh, his brother comes over to my house like ding-dong, and he's like knocking on my door, thinking, man, it's like Sunday after church. I just preached. I'm like tired. I was like, yo, man, what are you doing here? And he has like his little toolkit, and he's like, yo, man, I just want to come and soup up all your gear. It's like, Okay. And so he's like, show me all your guitars and your amps and all your pedals and stuff. I was like, oh, okay. So he comes upstairs. He looks at all of my gear. And for the next two to three hours, he just whipped out a soldering iron. And he just tweaked out every piece of gear that I had so that it would just sound better. I mean, what did he really have to give in terms of, like, money and resources? Nothing. But with what he had, he just really wanted to bless the people around him. Um, in 2011, uh, young, he passed away from leukemia. He was 30 years old. And in his last, he battled leukemia for about a year. And on his last uh, his last couple of weeks, I mean, the brother just looked like a skeleton. All, all his hair, everything was gone because he went through multiple rounds of chemo, More more than... Uh, more than was recommended, but you know, they wanted to try. And, I mean, I think he knew that he, he was just, his days were numbered. And at his funeral, one of our friends was giving the eulogy. And he said, every single doctor, nurse, nurse assistant, healthcare provider, PA, uh, on, on that, that floor, they knew who Young was. Because who, wh- whoever would come into his room, he would always grab their hand and say, hey, like what's going on in your life? How can I pray for you? What can I lift up to God for you? I mean, can I, like, for me, if I'm on my deathbed, the last thing I'm thinking about is how I'm gonna bless somebody else? I'm probably thinking about how I can squeeze out you know, one more inch of my life or maybe I'll be angry that I'm 30 and that I'm dying. But that's just not the way that he... He was wired. Well, let me take that back. I think he was wired just like you and I are. But I think it was his relationship with God, I believe, that something about the person and the character of Jesus motivated him, compelled him, opened up his awareness about reality, where he began to give all of his time, energy, and resources to things that he felt like mattered. And so... Uh, One of the last things that he said as he passed away was, he said, I just want to give glory to God. I just want to give glory to God. Can I tell you something? Um, My friend Young, he was rich. Man, he was rich. He was rich to himself. He was rich to the people that he encountered. And he was rich too. So whether you fall on the Bruce end of the spectrum or whether you fall on the young end of the spectrum, can I just tell you, can I tell you the power of God moving within you can empower you and give you uh, the clarity that you need to just really maximize what you have, your gifts, your talent, your energy, your resources. With what little you have or what much you have, you can use it to build the and so I encourage you this morning, uh, I don't want to give any prescriptions or any easy answers, I want to say begin asking those questions um, with your partner, with trusted people, with your pastors, with your small group, whoever it is, but begin asking those questions. Where is my wealth coming from? Where do I want to put it? And how can I use it to build the kingdom of God today? Please pray with me. Gracious God, we give you thanks on this day, and we ask that uh, your Holy Spirit would open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds, and open our hearts so that we don't live on autopilot, so that we're not people wondering at the end of the month, what did I do with my life and my resources, but that we would be people with purpose, intentionality, people who put our lives behind that which you value so that we can build the kingdom of God. God, remind us each and every single day that we are merely the landowners and that we are merely the workers, but we are not the ones that produce, that we are not the ones that cause things to grow and to flourish. We are merely the tenants. Help us to live with that awareness on this day. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.